You know, I forgot to say that it's like Valentine's Day tomorrow, right? So the, the love, as you can just feel the love in this room, make sure that you remember it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. I, I just want to say that I love my wife for many, many, many reasons. One of which is, I was like, hey, you know, let's, let's go out, let's go out to eat somewhere on Valentine's Day. And she's like, nah, it's just going to be so packed everywhere. Let's do it another day. I was like, oh. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Yes. I have to do it on the day. Valentine's week, right? Um, but it just so happens, you know, this year we kind of got a new NFL rhythm. And so the Super Bowl is also today. Let's see a show of hands. Who are, who, who's Bengals fans? Let's see it. Come on. Today you are Bengals fans. Is there anybody who's really Bengals fans? Like, I mean, we're from everywhere here, so someone might be from Cincinnati. What about LA? LA Rams fans? Oh, whoa, whoa. Got a marginal following. There's going to be... You, you learn to forgive. Yeah, I know. We're learning. It is kind of nice, though, to have a Super Bowl when you just you don't have anything on the line you're just watching it for the commercials right so don't let us down who's ever in charge of that we want some good stuff um we continue a new series in february here called who matters it's compassion in god's world and so it just kind of fits with the the feeling of love that we all have but just the whole idea that man god has a heart of compassion and he showed the ultimate uh ultimately to, to us through Jesus and his death for us. And uh, we want to live like Jesus did. We want to become like Jesus. And so how can we, as his people, reflect that heart of compassion that God has? And last week, we saw that there was great purpose behind that for Jesus. We were in Luke chapter 4, and uh, we kind of got a, a glimpse into Jesus saying, hey, I feel like God anointed me to preach good news. And by that word anointed, you know, we know that God, there's a calling there that Jesus is receiving and submitting to. And sometimes we have those callings too. And God's asking us to, do you hear me? Are you, and what are you going to do, do about it? And we see in Jesus, he submits to this. And uh, the good news of God's kingdom being present isn't just for a select group of people. No, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. And so we, we're, we're thankful for that. Uh, me, as a, a Gentile, someone of non-Jewish origin, I'm very thankful for that, that God wants to include all people because they matter. And so this morning, we're going to join Jesus and his disciples in John chapter 4 as they travel north. And I'll kind of explain this a, a little bit further later on, but they're, they're tra- this is an important thing to remember. They're traveling, they're, they're walking north from Judea, which is like Jerusalem, up to Galilee. And they have to walk through a place called Samaria. And so they meet this woman there, and I'll begin. This is John chapter 4, verses 4 through 15. Now he, that's Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given his, to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. These are all important details. When a Samarian woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samarian 
Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So here's this very interesting conversation, or at least I think it's interesting, between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And, you know, you can kind of pick up that it's, it's a little awkward in that we see parenthetically, you know, the, the narrator, the writer lets us know that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And it also, I mean, it so kind of has this stilted kind of back and forth banter-like, uh, you know, it's like a good Super Bowl trash talking, like, well, how are you going to draw the water? Where's your living water? You're greater than your, I mean, there's some attitude definitely given here. And uh, ultimately, they're just kind of both talking on different levels here as they talk about water. And there's a subtle play on words that's going on. Living water can also mean like running water or spring water or fresh water versus, you know, like a stagnant or a pool of water. And this woman is definitely a local. She's aware of all the water sources in the area. And so she just kind of calls him out. Where are you going to get that water? Where are you going to get that fresh spring living water? And I'm reminded of the Capital One banking slogan that goes something like this, you know, what's in your wallet? This is like, what's in your water? So there's, you know, a little bit of the OK Corral showdown here at the well. And um, there are some major cultural differences that are lost on us living 2,000 years later and I don't know how many miles away. Okay, a far, far, far distance, both in terms of real-life geography and also in time. But these differences are significant for those of us who want to follow Jesus and become like him, but they're really significant for anyone who encounters other people who appear very different than I do. So important for encountering others who are different than us. And whether that's that they grew up in a different place, that they have different cultural understandings, different life experiences, um, you know, it's, it's on the surface. It's when we meet people that it appears like we don't have much in common with them, whether that's gender or ethnicity or whatever it may be. And since our topic is compassion and who matters in God's world, you know, how do we have compassion towards people who seem very different than we are, that are very different than we are? Because Jesus definitely had compassion towards all people. And Jesus clearly cared for folks 
when it seemed like no one else did. So here Jesus is tired and thirsty. We like to think of Jesus as Superman. You know, like he never needed sleep. He never needed water. He, no, he was fully human. And so here he is, tired and thirsty, tells his disciples, or his disciples say, we're going to go into town and buy some food. Fine, I'm going to sit right here. And he's sitting next to Jacob's well. Now, this literally is Jacob, Abraham's grandson. And it's probably, I mean, there's a very good chance that this is the well. Because in the arid Middle East, you know, where in times where you didn't have excavators, when someone spent the time and effort, which would have been rudimentary tools, probably wicker baskets to remove the material, and in t- today that well is still known. I mean, it's like 100 feet deep. So who knows if it got lengthened over the passage of time, but wells don't change. And so here he is sitting in this place, and this is significant on a, another level because Jesus would have known or he would have expected to meet other people there. Wells were a gathering point. Specifically, they were a gathering point for women because um, in this very gender-specific world, gathering water was considered women's work. And I don't think the women minded it because it was like, ain't nobody gonna, you know, this is our domain. And so, you know, especially in the morning and the evening, women would gather there. It was this communal place. And so here's Jesus in the middle of the day sitting next to the well. He he would have been virtually guaranteed in finding a woman or some women during that time. And so this helps us, this little fact of ancient life, is because Jesus wouldn't have been surprised to encounter a woman while he sat there. And not just any woman, it would have been a Samaritan woman. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans, there was, they were ancient neighbors, but there was a lot of bad blood. Okay, there was generational hate that was happening. And it's not like open warfare kind of hate. It's like, I really don't like my siblings kind of hate. I mean, so, so it's just this, mm, always pushing each other's buttons. And uh, I've got a map here to kind of illustrate this. Um, this was going on for like over a thousand years. So a thousand years before Jesus, uh, Solomon, King Solomon dies. The kingdom of, of Israel is split into the northern kingdom leaves and becomes Samaria. And that's different from Sumeria. I always mess it up. That's like the Iraq. Okay, so Samaritans aren't Sumerians. Danny told me that this morning. So Samaria, and then Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee kind of remained uh, together. And the reason is because the Assyrians came and conquered the northern kingdom. And when they did that, they, they take people out, they forcibly remove them, they bring others in. And so in Jesus' time, where you have these people who are like neurotic about re- religious purity and food purity and all of these purity, well, people purity, they considered the Samaritans half-breeds. So they wouldn't even walk on their dirt. They would go over to Perea there or by the um, 
the River Jordan, walk up to Galilee. So it would be like, you know, Washington and Oregonians, if it was just so toxic, it's like, I'm not even setting foot in their land. I'm going to go over to Idaho. I'm going to walk down south towards California if that's where I'm going. And the Samaritans felt the same way. They're like, we don't like y'all either. In fact, we're going to make our own temple. And so they did that so that they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem. And so then you have this. So there's cultural reasons. There's theological and religious reasons. I mean, there's a lot of things keeping them apart. And so... uh, No self-respecting Jew would travel through Samaria, especially a young rabbi who's gaining popularity. And yet here's Jesus in Samaria, sitting by Jacob's well. And you can hear the surprise in the woman's voice when when Jesus asked her for a drink of water. She's like, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. I, I just have to believe she paused there. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Because men and women didn't mix either. The rabbis of Jesus' day, they had sayings. One of these sayings, uh, right here. This is like typical male Jewish attitude. One should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife, because of the gossip that will start. Uh, Another rabbinical saying is, it is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. So very rigid cultural divisions between men and women. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. She's obviously a little shocked. In verse 27, when his disciples come back, you know, they're startled to find him talking to a woman. It would have been so far out of bounds. It would have been like out of the stadium, out of bounds. And what's important for us is these kind of mental barriers, they affect who and how we show compassion to others. Because they're barriers that exist in our mind that we're not always aware of. And it affects who matters in God's world. The world around us makes us blind to the existence of of persons and people who we don't understand or that we try to avoid or share uh, much in common with because they're kind of the accepted rules of human interactions. And this especially applies to people that we don't always encounter. Um, You know, there are so many stories about Jesus that the writer could have included in John. So many stories. I'm sure it was hard for them to figure out which ones to include. They included this one. And it would have never happened if Jesus had kept to safe and time-honored paths that people were supposed to use when traveling from Judea to Galilee. And so what that says to me is that I've got some blind spots when it comes to like physically encountering people in my world. And that affects who I show compassion to. It affects you know, how I judge if they need compassion. I don't understand. I don't understand. This was, um, as I was writing this message, I was remembered when I moved to Washington State. So this is 15 years ago or more now. Man, I feel old. And um, I was coming from the Midwest and 
in the Midwest, I encountered very few, if any, Native Americans. Uh, I'm, I'm aware that there's a couple of tribes in Iowa, but I could not honestly tell you where they're located at. And um, so here in Washington State, tribes are difficult to ignore. I mean, there's tribal land everywhere. Have, have you noticed? Because after you're here for a while, it, it's kind of like they hide in plain sight. And this was made so aware when I moved to Bellingham, uh, you know, when you're standing almost anywhere in the town, you can look out across Bellingham Bay and there's this spit of land sticking out into the bay that's the Lummi Nation. And I was so curious. I mean, it's just right there. And I would ask people, like, hey, what's, what's over there? I'm, I'm kind of curious. And people would say, I don't know, I've never been over there. These are people who were born and raised in Bellingham. I'm thinking, it's five miles over there. What do you mean you've, you've, never, you've never been over there? That, that happened over and over and over again. So, you know, being the dumb white kid from middle America, I'm just like, well, I'm just going to drive around over there. And it's not very big. Uh, that kind of curiosity led to me as I was a youth pastor at the church up there at the time, and I decided, you know, our high schoolers, we're, gonna, we're supposed to do this like cross-cultural mission trip, which usually meant that you would fly somewhere exotic and, and serve Jesus, right? Um, oh, that really happens. And so I said, cross-cultural, we're going to go five miles away to the Lummi Nation. And it was not a popular decision. Uh, some of my high school students were like, you've got to be kidding me. But most of them had never been there. And so here, you know, we find ourselves painting houses uh, on tribal land for some of the elders and getting to know people. Um, and I'll never forget, like, tribal folks were shocked that a group of high school students from Bellingham were painting houses there. Because that just doesn't happen. And the high school students were shocked to find out how much they had in common or people that they knew uh, with so many different tribes, or people who were members of the tribe that they didn't realize were parts of the tribe. I mean, it was really this fantastic uh, experience that we all had. And uh, I wish I could say that it was the start of some like beautiful long-term relationship between these kids in Bellingham and the Lummi Nation. It, it wasn't. It was one trip. And shortly after that, my role changed at the church. I was no longer the youth pastor. Uh, I started working with adults. Uh, my daughter was born shortly. My life changed. And so here I sit 16 years later, and I'm like, when did I stop doing stuff like that? I don't know. Because I really felt like that was like one of those holy curiosities that come from the Holy Spirit. And somewhere along the way, I just stopped being curious. I read a passage like this, and all this comes to mind as I think about Jesus physically walking through an area where he didn't belong. And it's really hard to become aware of needs in God's world when we aren't even willing to make contact with people who are different than we are. And honestly, that's so much of what's broken in our world at this time. And if you and I have the courage if we're willing to step out of our comfort zone, <clears throat> we have to remember how Jesus entered these spaces. 
this is critical. Jesus was humble. Jesus was curious. Jesus was conversational. He took the initiative here to ask for help. Will you give me a drink of water? That's different than I need some water or give me water or whatever. No, it's, it's a question. Will you give me some water? And in these kind of situations, <clears throat> I know that I, if, if I was in this situation, I'd be tempted like, man, I better have some reason to be relevant here. I, I need to be the one offering help, not asking for it. But do you see how that just opens conversation where Jesus is willing to be vulnerable? Hey, will you give me some water? How would that change our ability, my ability to show compassion to others? I think it would change a lot. And maybe that's why so many of us struggle to find the living water of Jesus. Because we're so conditioned to be the strong ones. We're so conditioned to be the ones in control or, or you know, that kind of have the power. We're, we're independent. We're self-sufficient. That's how we're conditioned to be. And we keep drinking water that's stagnant. So has it ever occurred to you, has it ever occurred to me that we need to ask Jesus just a simple question? Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink, Jesus? I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I want the living water. And this lady is no different than we are 2,000 years later. She doesn't catch the illusion that Jesus is talking about the Spirit. So now... She does. She's like, well, give me that water. She, she's the one asking Jesus for the water. And he says, let's pick it up in the message here in, in verse 16. He says, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship, guessing, you worship now guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. It has, in fact, come. When what you're called will not matter and where you go worship will not matter. And here's the kicker. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking out for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being in itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. Amen. Don't you wish you could have just been there and watched this? You know, this, this lady, is she's got guts. She's kind of feisty. I, I mean, you can't help but like her. At least, I, I want to meet her. She, you know, 
Even after he says all this, she still defers. I didn't read this. It's, it, it keeps going. She's like, well, you know, maybe I, the Messiah is coming and he'll have to tell us. And then Jesus has the mic drop moment where he just says, yeah, I am. What? It starts to make sense. It's, it starts to make sense, like, why she's there in the middle of the day. She's hauling. I mean, that's hard work. It's hot. There's a 100-foot rope or something that she's got to haul this water up. Most people do it in the morning or the evening when it's cooler. There's probably a crowd. So someone showing up in the middle of the day is someone who doesn't want to mingle with other people. She's embarrassed. She's ashamed. She doesn't care. She's just avoiding others. What kind of reputation does she have in town? I mean, it probably doesn't take a lot of imagination to guess. Um, I grew up in a small town, and I remember how, like, when I say small town, I mean, there was less than 1,000 people in our area. So the town was even smaller yet. Everybody knew who was sleeping with who. I mean, even when I was in middle school, I knew. People just talk about it. They gossip all the time. This is a small town. She had a reputation, and it's almost not fair. It's like, well, what about the guys? How come we always judge? I mean, we, even now, we look at, we have very casual attitudes towards marriage and sex, and, and we're like shocked. Five husbands? We don't judge the men. It's so crazy. But if there was that much relational baggage in her love life, I imagine there was carnage in her other relationships, too. So she's there in the middle of the day. And notice Jesus doesn't even, I mean, he just skips right over all of the ethics there. He doesn't condescend. He doesn't write her off. Instead, he invites her to consider what it means to worship God. I mean, hear this. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking out for a.k.a. not perfect, have-it-all-put-together people. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before them in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. So what kind of people is the Father looking for? People who are beautiful, who have a high net worth, who have power or connections, you know, they're, they're on their way to becoming a social media influencer. Is that who the Father's looking for? Well, maybe, but only folks who are simply and honestly themselves before them and their worship. So Jesus says the mountain doesn't matter, the geography doesn't matter, but the God you worship does. The way you worship matters. And so in its essence, worship is just ascribing worth to God. And God doesn't care for those who are just going through the motions, who are checking the box each and every Sunday saying, here I am. God wants people who just simply come before him and worship. Here I am, God. I worship you. The last thing that this passage says for us this morning, which is kind of the culmination of talking about water, the living water, talking about 
worship and what God's really after. It culminates in this idea of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. Because what's most remarkable about this woman is that she actually believes him. I am. In verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Eventually, I think he spends like two days there just teaching. But do you see what she did? This is what disciples do. They respond to Jesus. And they testify to others. Come and see a man who's told me everything that I've ever done. This stands in stark contrast to a guy called Nicodemus who just visited Jesus, and, and he has the resume of all resumes. But Nicodemus just slipped away in the night. This woman, supposedly with the terrible res- reputation, goes back into town and brings everyone out to meet Christ. She's a true follower, a disciple of Jesus. And so she serves not just only as an example, but she also teaches us who matters in God's world. Jesus shows us that all of us do. Wherever you are in your life right now, you matter to God. And at any moment, because his heart is one of compassion, we can turn and we can ask him, will you give me a drink? And Jesus always says, yes. Yes. Please join me in prayer. God, we are, I I mean, there's just no words sometimes to describe um, how much we need you. And some of us do, you know, at least it appears like we have everything all together and we don't need anyone. But we also know deep down that that's just something we tell ourselves. So help us. Help us to have courage to go to places that, that we're scared to go or that, we're, that we don't want to go. Um, give us the courage and the humility and the ability to start conversations with people who are very different than we are. Help us to have the kind of heart and the compassion that you do towards others, towards all people, the the dignity that you show and bestow on every single person, Lord, no matter how different their opinion or how different their experience or how different they are from us, Lord. Won't you do that work in us? We want the water. This is our prayer. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.